You be seated. Tests are part of life. Some tests are formal. Uh, they have a beginning and they have an end. Some tests are informal. You may not even know that you are being tested. The ACT will test your intelligence. Marathons will test your endurance. Ultra marathons will test your mental sanity. Only crazy people will do that. Uh, in the scriptures, you see that Job was tested with pain and suffering. And Moses was tested by power and pleasure. For some, having much will be a great test of your faith in Christ. You will be tested with blessing and health and money and success. For others, having little will be a great test of your faith. Any way you slice it, tests are part of life. And then there are times when the God of the universe will peel back all the layers of the human heart and test you at the very core of your being. Genesis 22 verse 1 says, After these things, God tested Abraham. Abraham didn't know he was being tested by God. God did not show up and say, Abraham, uh, relax, this is only a test. That's not what happens in the passage. Abraham did not want to be tested by God. He wasn't looking for a test. And he certainly did not expect to be tested. Verse 1 says, after these things. These things being a reference to a time of blessing and prosperity in Abraham's life. Isaac was growing up. There was peace in the family. Everyone is healthy. Life is good for Abraham. Nevertheless, God decides to test Abraham. And this test is what we are going to study this morning from Genesis chapter 22. And the story is so good that you don't even need an outline. But I'm going to give you one anyways. That's just what i got to do. So two points, two simple parts to the outline. There's first the test and then the nature of the test. So let's start with the test. And there are two features of the test I want you to notice. Feature number one is the clarity of the test. The clarity of the test. In verse 2, if God had said, take your son and offer him on Mount Moriah, this would, have, this would have allowed for Abraham to say, okay, I have two sons. Maybe I'll take Ishmael and I'll sacrifice Ishmael. Ishmael is going to go on the altar and I can spare Isaac. But God does not leave room for Abraham to do this. Look at verse 2. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac. He's so specific. Your only son, Isaac. Your only son of the promise. Your only son who will be your heir. Whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Abraham knows what a burnt offering is. Therefore, Abraham knows God is asking him to kill his son, Isaac. But isn't God against human sacrifice? The answer is yes. God is against human sacrifice. And we, we will get to that later. But the instruction is clear. Abraham knows exactly what God is asking him to do. Feature number two is the cost of the test. The cost of the test. There is an outrageous cost to this test. This is not an easy test. This might be the most costly test you could imagine. And it comforts me that God knows the cost of what he's asking Abraham to do. Look at verse 2. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Whom you love. Verse 2 is the first time in the Bible we see the word love. God is a God of love. But you don't see the word love until this point in the scriptures. And it is the love between a father and a son. And the picture we have in Genesis chapter 22 is a picture of overflowing joy. That Abraham and Sarah are experiencing overflowing joy because of their relationship with Isaac. I mean, they had waited 75 years. That's a long time to have this son. And now they have this son. And they are laughing. They're enjoying their son. If you're a parent, 
you know what that's like. The, the overwhelming joy of becoming a parent. I mean, there are so many parents in this room, but so many of you, you would die for your kids. It's that joy in your, that love and that joy that you have in your children that would make you die for your children. But the test for Abraham is not, will Abraham die for Isaac? I think that would be an easy test. Will Abraham die for Isaac? That would be, I think Abraham would sign up for that. He's, he would say, I'm 115 years old. I'm ready to go. I'm going to die for my son. That would be relatively easy. But that, that is not the test. The test is will Abraham offer Isaac as a burnt offering to God? Will he kill him? Will he kill him? This is a costly test. You know, my, my dog, Manny, uh, he died in April. He was about seven years old, and we loved that dog. He got bloat. And if you know what that is, it's fatal for dogs. It's typically fatal for dogs. And we took him to the vet, and the vet said, it's going to be $8,000 to do the surgery, and he probably won't live, so don't do the surgery. So we had to put him down. And it was sad. We loved that dog a lot. And uh, later on that week, someone came up to me, and, and they said, Dan, um, I'm really sorry to hear about Manny. And I said, thanks. And he said, did you have to put him down? I said, yes. And then he looked at me. He was a little confused, and he said, he said Dan, I thought you are the type of, guy, type of guy who would take Manny out into the woods and shoot him. And I said, what? Like, you think I'm a monster? Is that what you think about me? I mean, that is, you thought I would just go shoot him? And I was thinking a little bit about that, and I'm like, I couldn't, I couldn't shoot my dog. He's my dog. I love him. He loves me. That's why he's in heaven right now, enjoying the Lord. Just kidding about that. But, but I thought, how, 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 I mean, I was just thinking to myself, could I kill my dog? I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could. And my love for my kids, though, is infinitely more than my love for my dog. And a lot of you, you have kids and you have pets. And you look at your, your pets and you think, I would kill all the dogs in the world <laughs> if that meant my kid would survive. You love your kids so much more than your pets. And yet God is asking Abraham to kill his son. Uh, it is so costly. Take your son. He said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now, how will Abraham respond? What will he do? Well, this leads us to the second part of the story, which is the nature of the test. The nature of the test. There are two words that help us understand the nature of the test. The first word is the word faith. It's the word faith. What is God doing in chapter 22? He's testing Abraham. But what does that mean? Is, is God testing the physical endurance of Abraham? No. He sends him on a 50-mile journey through the mountains, but he's not testing the physical endurance of Abraham. Is he testing Abraham's intelligence? No, that's not what he's doing. What is he doing? He's testing Abraham's faith. Your faith in God is so important. There's virtually nothing more important in your life than your faith in Christ. It's by faith that you are saved. It's by faith that you are sanctified. It's by faith that you draw near to God. It's by faith that you, you receive eternal rewards. Your faith is so important that God says he wants to grow your faith. He wants to refine your faith. He's going to test your faith. He's going to purify your faith that you might know God more deeply. And so God is testing Abraham's faith. The question is, will Abraham trust God? Will Abraham believe the promises of God, put his trust in the character of God? Or will Abraham give in to his fears? Will he live by what he sees and feels, or will he live by the promises of God? And see, a command like offer your son as a burnt offering will naturally produce a lot of fears in life. This is what God's word is designed to do. If you want to know how God's word works, 
oftentimes the word of God is designed to come into your life and totally disrupt your life. Uh, The word of God should not always fit comfortably in our souls. The word of God will create much tension in our lives. Why? Because the word of God is telling us to live in a way we don't naturally want to live. We want to indulge our flesh. We want to live according to what makes sense to us. We want to do what we want to do. We want to be the God of our lives, but God's word comes in and instructs us to live differently. So there should be a tension in our souls. If you don't feel tension, at least periodically, if you don't feel tension when reading the word of God, it's likely because you're not taking God's word seriously. It's, It's likely because you're not taking God's word seriously. God's word will often stir up anxieties in our hearts. It will push us into our fears, to face our fears. And if you think about it for five minutes, it is easy to see all the fears that would have flooded Abraham's heart. It is so easy to see that. I mean, so many fears would have come into his soul. Like, what are you going to tell your wife, Abraham? (laughs) What are you going to, you know that son that you've wanted for 75 years? I killed him today. That's not going to go over very well. What are you going to tell, what are you going to tell Sarah? Or what are you going to tell Isaac? You know, Isaac, it's time for me to kill you. That's not going to go over well either. <laughs> the Babylon Bee, they posted this headline. I thought it was pretty good. Historians believe Isaac declined all father-son camping trips, trip invitations after the incident. <laughs> you know, and you think about like, obviously that's going to disrupt your relationship with your son. That's not going to go very well. And you can just, you can make a list of 100 things in five minutes. If you think about the fears that would be stirred up in his soul. And what happens so often is that when those fears flood our souls, we just get rid of the word of God. We don't even look at it because we don't like him. We can't take God's word seriously because we know just by our very instincts that if I take God's word seriously, I'm gonna live a different way. But see, Abraham leaned into the word of God. He took God's word seriously. And so his faith was tested. The second word that helps us understand the nature of the test is the word obedience. How does Abraham pass the test? How does Abraham pass the test? Does he pass the test if he recites the instruction of God? He memorizes the command and then recites the command? That's not how you pass the test. The way you pass the test is you obey. You obey God from the heart. Jesus says, why do you call call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? God wants us for our good and for his glory to trust his word and to do what he says, to live by faith. And by the grace of God, Abraham obeys from the heart. Verse 3, so Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. This is wild. Verse 3 is wild. He gets up early in the morning to obey God. Some commentators say, look how eager Abraham is to obey God. And maybe he's eager It doesn't say he's eager. Maybe he just couldn't sleep. Why did he get up early? Maybe he couldn't sleep. It doesn't say exactly why he gets up early. I'm sure there was great tension in his soul. Nevertheless, he gets up early and prepares to obey God. He takes his two young men and his son, splits the wood, gets the donkey, and he heads out. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So he's traveling for three days, contemplating the instruction of God. I believe this is where Abraham is wrestling over God's instructions. For three days, he's traveling through the mountains with his son as his 
memory is flooded with, with all of these events in, in Isaac's life, like the day Isaac was born. If you're a parent, do you remember when your kids were born? My guess is that you do. You remember when your kids were born. I'm sure Abraham is thinking about the day Isaac was born or the day that Isaac caught his first fish or whatever, whatever those markers were as far as growing up in that time period. He's remembering all these situations. He's remembering all of the conversations and the pride that he has in his son. You know, Isaac was a good boy. He was probably, you know, roughly 15 years old. He was old enough to travel 50 miles through the mountains and carry wood, and yet he was young enough to not be married. So whatever, whatever age that is, 15, 16, 14, whatever age that is. And it is stunning to me that Abraham continues on for three days. He keeps going. Even though, I'm, I, just think about that for a moment. What is Abraham thinking about? He's thinking about what God has said. He's thinking about his son. He's counting the cost. He's wrestling with what God has said to him. And he journeys on. Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father? And he replied, here I am, my son. Isaac said, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So Isaac's saying, okay, we're going we're to go worship the Lord. We're going to build this, this altar. We're going to make a sacrifice, but where's the lamb? He's putting the pieces together. He says, we don't have a lamb. Verse 8, Abraham answered, God himself will, will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. This must have been the slowest walk in human history. I mean, he's, he knows, like, I'm about ready to kill my son. And he's walking up with his son. His son, at this point, does not understand that he's the sacrifice. I mean, can you see that in your mind? The tension in his soul. Verse 9. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac. Dad, what are you doing? He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took his knife to slaughter his son. That's the intent in his heart. He is going to do it. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham, by the grace of God, passes the test of faith. He obeys God from the heart. Now, what do we learn from the story? What are we supposed to learn from the story? Well, there's so much to learn. I just want to point out a few details. Number one, we learn how to obey God. We learn how to obey God. We learn how to pass the test. How do you obey God by faith? How do you obey God from the heart? This story gives us the mechanics of genuine obedience to God. And there are three words that lay out the pathway of obedience. So if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time, I want you to think about the mechanics in the story of obedience because God is asking you to obey him from the heart. Uh, sometimes obedience is considered a, uh, a cuss word. We hate that word, like obey. No, 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 that's the opposite of, of grace. No, 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 that's not, that's not the picture. 
that, that the right worship of God will lead us to obedience. And so how do we obey? Well, three words. First is the word word. Word. If you're going to obey God from the heart, you must take God's word seriously. You must take God's word seriously. Look at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here's his response, here I am. Here I am. He's ready. His ear is in tune with the voice of God. He was ready and eager to obey God's word. Now, God is not going to speak to us audibly today. You're not going to go for a walk and he's not going to say, Dan, and then I'm going to talk to God. That's not the way it's going to work. But God has given us his word. And I would say the primary reason people do not grow up in their faith in Christ is because they have no real intention of obeying God. They're fine with going to church every once in a while. They're fine with being a nice person. They're not going to cuss this person out, at least to their face. Like, we're going to be nice. We're fine with helping people periodically. We're fine with, like, the moral codes of society. That's, that's all good. We'll say, that's fine. I can do that stuff. But there's no real intention in the heart to obey God's word. There must be, if you're going to grow, there must be a heart, an ear that is in tune with the word of God. And when we talk about obeying God from the heart, we're not talking about earning your salvation. When was Abraham justified in the story? Do you, do you remember? It was in Genesis 15. Abraham was justified by faith alone in Genesis 15. Justification, forgiveness, salvation is a gift that is received by faith. It's not something that we earn. But in chapter 22, what we see is that God is testing the faith of Abraham, giving Abraham an opportunity to prove his faith, to demonstrate his faith, to demonstrate his love. How do you prove your faith in Christ? You obey him from the heart. How do you prove that you love God? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. This is an opportunity for Abraham to prove his love, to prove his faith, to prove that his faith is genuine, that his love is real. And by the grace of God, not apart from the grace of God, but by the grace of God, Abraham obeys. And so if you want to obey God, you must take his word seriously. The second word is the word wrestle. Wrestle. If you take God's word seriously, the word of God will not fit very nicely in your heart. If you take God's word seriously, it will force you to wrestle. I mean, if Abraham had no intention of obeying God in this area, do you know what he would have done? He would have just gone about his, his life. He would have never wrestled with the word of God. He would have just gone about his business. I'm just going to live my life and ignore, I'm just going to ignore the word of God. He would have never wrestled with the word of God. But because that was, that was not his attitude, because Abraham wrestled with the commands of God, he arrived at a place of purified he took God's word seriously, and because of that, he had to wrestle with God's word. And so many of you, you know that experience. You know the wrestling that happens when you read the word of God, and you recognize, my life is not in line with what God is saying, and I need to bring my life into conformity with God's word. And there is a struggle, there's a cost, there's a wrestling that happens. I, I studied the book of Titus this week, and Titus chapter 2 says this, for the grace of God has appeared, namely the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the grace of God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now, what does the grace of God teach us? Does the grace of God teach us that obedience is not a big deal? Does the grace of God teach us that sin is not a big deal? Not at all. Look what the verse says in verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, 
instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. My heart naturally, apart from the grace of God, my heart naturally loves godlessness. I, I want to live according to my own instincts. I want to live according to what makes sense to me. That's how I want to live naturally. That's what my heart is filled with. And when you become a Christian, you get a new heart. You get a new life. You get new desires. But those desires for the world and for lust, for your own way, they still exist. And, and when God's word comes into our souls, God's word is going to move us in a different direction. So there's going to be this tension. There's going to be a tension. And you have to wrestle with God. You have to wrestle with the word of God. And we know from Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham wrestled with God. He wrestled with the word of God. On that three-day journey, he is wrestling with what God has instructed him to do. Verse 17, Hebrews eleven seventeen. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises. So think about that statement. He received the promises that sin had cursed the whole world. But God made a promise to Abraham, through you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. What a, what a promise. Through your descendants, and you will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. He received the promises and yet was offering his one and only son. So now he has the son of the promise, Isaac. And God says, offer him as a burnt offering. But, but Abraham is thinking, but he has no children. Why would I kid? Didn't you promise God through Isaac? that I will have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky? You did promise that. But now you're asking me to kill him? How does that work? He's wrestling with what God has said, the promises of God and the instructions of God. Verse 18, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. Verse 19, he considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back figuratively speaking. And so eventually Abraham gets to this point where he says, I don't know how this is going to work out. I know what God has promised. I know what God is asking me to do. And I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to trust him anyways. He's God. I'm not God. He's sovereign. I'm not sovereign. He's right and I'm wrong. So I'm going to trust him. He's trustworthy. And he obeys him even he obeys God even though he doesn't know how it's going to work out. And he gets to the conclusion, maybe God will just raise him from the dead. I kill Isaac, and God will raise him from the dead. Look at Genesis 22, verse 5. This is right before he offers Isaac. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go there to worship. Now look at this. Then we will come back to you. We will. So he concludes, somehow, somehow, Isaac is coming back with me. We are going to come back. I'm going to offer him, and somehow we are going to come back. And sometimes what will happen in our world today, in the Christian world, is we think, okay, I will obey God if I see, if I see how it's in my immediate best interest. Or I will obey God if I see how it's going to play out the way that I want it to play out. Or I will obey God if it makes me look good. But see, when our obedience to God is conditional, based off of whether or not we like the results, then we are trying to be God of our lives. This is not how Abraham thought. The way Abraham thought is, God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I'm going to obey you anyways. I will trust you anyways. But see, if Abraham did not take God's word seriously, he would have never wrestled deeply with God's word. 
And see, the life of faith, what the life of faith is all about is a settled conviction in the soul. I will obey Christ no matter what the cost. I will obey Christ even if it gets me into trouble. I will obey Christ even if I lose friends. I will obey Christ even if it costs me everything. That is the heart of Christianity. That is the heart of the life of faith, that we will trust God no matter what the cost. And that is the context in which our faith grows. The third word, as far as how we are to obey, how do you obey God, is the word worship. Worship. Obedience, ultimately, genuine biblical obedience to God is all about worship. So how do you obey God when it's hard? How do you obey God when it's difficult? How do you obey God when it's costly? Look at verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. We're going to worship. This is the first time in the Bible the word worship is used. We are going there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. If obedience is about making you look good, if obedience is about helping you get ahead, if obedience is about winning the competition over who's the godliest, if obedience is about keeping up with other people, if obedience is about appeasing your conscience, then your obedience is not genuine obedience and it won't last. This is not what obedience to God is about. Biblically, obedience is about worship. That how do we worship God? We worship God by obeying God by faith. We worship God by obeying God by faith. And when your obedience is about worship, everything changes. Everything changes. I mean, imagine asking Abraham, as Abraham raises the knife to kill Isaac, imagine asking him, Abraham, why are you doing this? What do you think he would have said? Would he have said, you know, I just kind of feel like doing this today. This is what I feel like. I'm just going to kill Isaac. Is that what he would have said? No way. Or would he have said, I just want to be the best version of myself. That's kind of what I, I want to be the best version of me. Or I wanna, I'm doing this because it's going to make me look good. Or if I don't do this, I'm going to feel bad. Do you think that's why he would, do you think that's why he was obeying God? No way. Here's the reason. If you were to ask him in that moment, why are you doing this? He would have said, because I'm obeying God. God asked me to. And it was an act of worship to God. All true obedience comes down to worshiping Christ. And I think this is thrilling, personally, because all, that means all of life, your job, what you do at home, what you do with your money, what you do with your sex life, what you do with your speech, how you live, how you treat people, ultimately, it all comes down to the worship of God. It's about the worship of God. It's about offering yourself to God in light of who he is and what he's done, offering your obedience to him to honor him. Abraham's hands were wide open to God. Abraham's hands were open saying, God, whatever you want, is yours. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. All of my life belongs to you. So often what we will do is we'll maybe have one hand open before God and we have our other hand closed. We're hanging on to our dating life. How do I want to date? I want to date a certain way and God, you can't touch that. Or I, I, I want to have sexual pleasure in a certain way and I'm going to have that kind of no matter what. Or my money. I'm going to hang on to my money. I'm going to do money my way. Or my hobbies or my career. And I'm, I'm going to hang on to them with one hand. And then everything else, God, that belongs to you. But see, whatever you hang on to, the non-negotiables in your life, that is your God. Your non-negotiables in your life, that is what you worship. 
And so when we say no to God in these areas, we're saying these things are worthy of my worship. But Abraham did not live that way. Abraham, he came with both hands open before God. Whatever you want, whatever you want from me, I will do. Now, why did Abraham do this? Why did he do? What opened Abraham's hands to God? Why did he open his hands? Is it because Abraham is just a great person? No. The reason is that Abraham got a glimpse of the greatness and glory of God. He saw the worthiness of God to be praised, to be worshiped, to be obeyed, to be trusted. He saw that God is in charge, that God rules and reigns, that God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. And he saw that he was created in that God's image. He got a a glimpse of the greatness and glory of God. And I would suggest that today, you and I, we have a much clearer picture of the glory of God than even Abraham did. That if Abraham had reasons to trust God and to obey God and to worship God, we have more reasons to trust God and to obey God. Genesis 22 is real history. It really happened. Genesis 22 happened in time and space. And Genesis 22 is designed by God to point us to the good news of the gospel. Uh, This week as I was studying, I came up with 20 ways Genesis 22 points to the good news of the gospel, but we don't have time for that, so I'm just going to give you a couple. I want you just to think just for a few minutes about how this story happened in real history, but is designed to point us to Christ. The first way is that the birth birth of Isaac was promised in advance. We've been studying Genesis for months. You see that the birth of Isaac was promised in advance, and it required supernatural intervention. In the same way, the birth of Jesus was promised in advance, thousands of years in advance, and required the supernatural intervention of God. Isaac was the only son of Abraham, son of the promise. Jesus is the only son of the father. One way to summarize this is to say that Abraham did not withhold his only son Isaac and offered him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. In the same way, God the father did not withhold his only son Jesus and offered him as a burnt offering on Mount Moriah. Now you might be thinking, didn't Jesus die in Jerusalem? Yes. Mount Moriah is the place where the temple would be built. This is the future city of Jerusalem. And this is where God asked Abraham to offer his son, the future Jerusalem. Now, the big obvious difference in the story between between the gospel of grace and what happens in Genesis 22 is that Abraham did not actually kill his son Isaac on the altar. But 2,000 years later, God the Father would put a wooden cross on his one and only son, Jesus, and he would walk with his son up that same hill, except for this time, God did not spare his son. Rather, the knife came down on Jesus, and he died. Why? For us, for you, that you might be forgiven. You know, the wages of sin is death. The price of forgiveness is blood. It's blood. There's, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so God, in his great love and great mercy, sent his son to die in our place. If you look back at verse 13, Genesis 22, verse 13, it says, Abraham, after God says, don't kill Isaac, it says, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering 
in place of his son. So do you see what happens? So he's about ready to sacrifice Isaac. God says, don't do that. Look at the lamb. Look at the ram caught in the thicket and offer that instead of your son. Verse 14, and Abraham named that place, the Lord will provide. So today it is called, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. What is it? It is the substitute. The substitute, the lamb, the ram caught in the thicket will be provided for Isaac. This story is designed to point us to Christ, the ultimate lamb who was slain on our behalf. Our substitute, our sin demands death. What you have earned, what you have earned for your sexual sin and your lying and your pride is hell. It's death. It's separation from God. That's what we've all earned. But the good news of what Christ has done for us is that he came and willingly walked up that hill with a cross on his back. And he laid down and he was killed. His blood was shed that we might be forgiven. And because of what Christ has done, because of his goodness, because of his kindness to us, because of his mercy, we are forgiven in Christ. We have a right standing with Christ. We have been clothed in the very righteousness of Christ. The Apostle Paul picks up on this theme in Romans chapter 8. He uses the same language. He says, what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Verse 32. Now think about his argument, Paul's argument. He did not even spare his own son. He did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will, he, how will he not also with him grant us everything? He's saying, do you understand that God, because of his great love for you, he offered up his son in your place. You deserve to die. Christ died that you might live. You deserve to go to hell. You deserve to suffer. But Christ took that suffering in himself that we might be set free, that we might know God, that we might worship God. And Paul's saying, listen, if God the Father did not spare his son, but gave up his son on our behalf. Do you think he's withholding anything good from you? What is God withholding from you? If he already gave you his son, the answer is nothing. God is for you. You're a Christian, God could not be more for you. Which means he's trustworthy. Why trust him? Why trust God? Because he loves you. How do you know he loves you? Because he offered up his son on your behalf. And so the Christian life, the mechanics of the Christian life are set up in such a way where day after day, by the grace of God, we look at the word of God, we wrestle with the word of God, and then we worship. We, we obey from the heart, looking at Christ, not looking at ourselves, but looking at Christ. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of being trusted. He's worthy of any sacrifice. And that view of Christ is what opens up our hands and says, whatever you want, Lord, whatever you want. And so I, I, I want to encourage you this morning just to look at your life and just ask the question, are my hands really opened up to him? D does he really have my heart? Is my life really submitted under his lordship? And see, the more I look at Christ, the more I see what he's done for me, the more that I see his love, the more that I see his sacrifice for me, the more my hands just open up. So look at Christ this morning, we pray. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we thank you for what you've done.